that this not be a passive experience. As we even saw there on the video, Lord, this is something that is active. You are actively working in our hearts and in our minds, and it is your word that is the vehicle that brings that change within us. So, Lord, speak to us today. Change us. May we go from here putting into practice what we have heard from you today. And above all, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart truly be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are my rock and my redeemer. We give this time to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, no doubt many of you have heard the old saying that says uh, uh, it, they, that for those who do things over and over and over again and expect different results, that is the very definition of insanity. And in fact, it's often attributed to uh, Albert Einstein that said that, but uh, they can't really find any evidence of him having said that, and certainly there's no uh, written evidence of anything in his writings. They haven't found anything yet. And the earliest place where we see this, the you know, insanity being uh, doing, uh, doing things the same and expecting different results, is in a pamphlet many years ago for Narcotics Anonymous. And I don't know about you, but that sort of makes sense because that's sort of how 12-step programs work. They like to, uh, you know, they, they talk about how the important thing is, and if it's a good 12-step program, it'll be, you know, through your higher power working within you that will affect change in your life. Therefore, insanity is to not allow that to happen and to continue to do the same things and, uh, and expect somehow going, there's going to be change. I know in my own life, there's times when I think, how come I'm not losing any weight? Well, it's because I haven't changed any of my eating habits. I'm still eating the same thing, and somehow I expect that it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect different results. Or uh, getting up early in the morning and going down to the gym instead of just turning the alarm off when it goes on. And then I wonder, how come I don't see or feel like I'm as in good a shape as I used to be? Well, I'm, I'm doing the same thing over and over, the negative things, and I'm expecting different results. It's sort of similar to what George Santayana said when he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And we Christians, if you think about it, we often look at discipleship like that. I mean, we, we follow Jesus and we say that because of that, he said, he promised to us in John 10.10 10, that we will experience that abundant life. And we try and we try and we try over again, kind of like the, the Rolling Stones sang in uh, Satisfaction, right? And, and I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried and I can't get no satisfaction. And, and so our way, and we wonder why things don't change. Well, we expect somehow that the abundant life is just going to happen, even though I'm not allowing Jesus to change anything in terms of my behavior. And I propose to you this morning that maybe we, and I'm right there with you, maybe we should try something different. Instead of doing it our way, why not try it Jesus's way? And if there's one thing that you can count on from Jesus, as we have been seeing, as we've been going through this gospel of Matthew, he will give you the truth. He will brutally give us the truth at times. And sometimes, in fact, if you're me, quite often that truth is not really what I would expect. Even in fact, when he talks about, you know, uh, if you follow me, I will give you abundant life. Well, the thing is, Jesus himself gets to define what that abundant life is. 
And that's one example. Today we're going to see some other examples of this very idea. So take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10 as we continue where we left off last week. We're going to be in, starting in verse 11. I encourage you to take the note sheets, the note cards you had. Again, if you didn't get one this morning here in the room, put your hands up and they'll get a note card to you. And if you're joining with us online, the notes are available on the church app along with the questions for our life groups are on the back of those cards. Today, Jesus is going to continue uh, the discourse that we saw last week where he is preparing his disciples before he sends them out on their first mission trip. And he's going to inform them and us of what they can expect as they go out into their worlds. Just as a way to sort of get a running start at the today's passage, Jesus began their preparation last week. He called his 12 disciples and commissioned them as apostles, as sent ones. He gave them the message that they were to take. He empowered them for ministry, and he gave them instructions for how they would travel. His whole point, as we correctly figured out in our life group this week, his whole point for what he was doing last week and this week as well, is to teach his disciples that they could in fact trust him. Even though you don't think you have enough, even though you may not feel like, I may not feel like, Lord, I am prepared. And again, I am right there with you. I know I'm a pastor and I'm a professional and all that, but I, I rarely feel prepared. I don't feel prepared this morning. That's why I pray so hard that the Holy Spirit speaks through me. It's universal. And I think Jesus plans it that way. Because you see, uh, there's less temptation to fall back on your own strength and your own power and more motivation to rely upon him. And that's what Jesus is doing. And he's continuing in that process this morning. As he prepares them today for what he knows is coming, there are some things that they need to do. And there are especially some things that they need to change. And it's no surprise, it's many of the same things that they need to change are the same things we need to change today. The first change is this, and that is to humbly receive God's provision. Jesus tells them, and again, he's continuing from last week. By the way, if you were not here last week, you can get recordings. The recordings of all of our sermons are available online, so you can go back and catch up on that. He tells them as they are traveling, preaching their message, verse 11 says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Now, I want to emphasize a couple of things here today that's important to recognize, and that is that we're going to see today that he's going to give some very specific commands to his disciples who are now apostles, and it's going to be commands for them. And in some cases, it's not going to be, as we're going to see, it, the direct application of the command for his apostles is not going to be the same application that we're going to have today. So what I'm going to do quite often, as you'll be seeing, is we're going to be pulling out principles based on what he told his disciples. You'll understand this better as we go along. But you could say that essentially what Jesus is saying here in verse 11 is that like Scarlett O'Hara, the apostles are always dependent upon the kindness of strangers, okay? <laughs> My mom grew up in... Um, South Carolina, so I grew up doing that, hearing that accent, you know, it's, it's the, the, uh, the recording that goes along in my brain of my mother's voice. And so he tells them here, uh, on the kindness of strangers, you are to, 
You are only to stay at the homes of, quote, as he says here, worthy people. Who are worthy people? Well, worthy people are those who accept them, who will take them in, but also who will accept their message. They trust, in other words, these are people that are willing to trust Christ and receive the gift that the apostles are giving to, to the gift of peace and forgiveness. And he says here an interesting thing. As you enter the house, greet it. Now, <laughs> obviously, he's, he's not talking about the physical. Okay, hi, house. It, it reminds me, and I'm going to date myself here, but, <clears throat> but it's okay. If you're younger, I'm going to give an illustration but for you older ones, for the boomers, okay, you'll remember the honeymooners back in 1950s, Ralph Cramden, Ed Norton, and there was a scene where Ralph is trying to teach Ed Norton how to golf, and the first instruction was address the ball, and what does Ed do? He goes up and he goes, hello, ball, <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, similar to as you enter the house, greet it. Actually, he's not, uh, he's not telling them to greet the physical house here. What, and, we, and actually, to be honest, many of us probably know the word that he's using here for house. The word is o o oikia. And it's not only, uh, oikia not only means, it does actually mean a physical house, but it also means the people who are in that house. They are entering and greeting the people in their oikos, their house, their worlds, which is what we do, right? And look at verse 13. And if the house, the people, that is, if those people are worthy, let your peace come upon it. And again, the worthiness of the house or their world or their oikos is their acceptance of the message of Jesus Christ and their acceptance of the apostles. And remember what Jesus said back in, or he's going to say actually in verse 40 of this chapter, he says, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, God. Well, last week we talked about the authority that they had. They are ambassadors. Remember, we mentioned that last week. And, and, of course, they are apostles, sent ones who are representing Christ. But they are also, and, and that is like an ambassador, somebody with authority, someone with all of the ability to speak for the one who has sent them. And we have that same thing. Paul told the Corinthians uh, in Corinthians eleven twenty. 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Jesus is telling them here, the disciples, that they had to humble themselves and do what? Accept charity from strangers. And, and these disciples, you know, we, we sometimes try to, we, we think of them as, uh, you know, backwoods, you know, hicks or something, but they're not. These guys were business owners. They were professional fishermen. They were probably pretty well-to-do in their, their middle-class environments. You've got Matthew, who was a government official and probably very well-to-do. So it would have been a challenge, I think, for some of these guys to actually humble themselves and go out. I mean, it would have been easier just to say, well, I'll get a hotel room or we'll find a place or we'll, we'll pay our own way. And notice that Jesus says in verse 11, they are to stay there when they get into a house. Not, not look for a better place, not look for a, a place that might be easier on them. <laughs> that reminds me, remember some of the homes we stayed in, Jackie, when we would take young people on mission trips and some of those places, we'd, we'd get feedback from, 
what happened in the houses that we sent kids to. And there were some interesting individuals there. And yet we were able, because we did that, to have an impact on those homes in a very personal way. And it's similar for us today, guys, at least in principle is what we're saying. We are to go to our house. We are to go to our worlds and share the message of Christ with those who are worthy, those who will listen to us and put that into practice. And let's let's be honest, just like with these guys, I bet it is a challenge at time. Why is that? Because some of the people in our worlds are, to put it kindly, a little bit difficult sometimes. Some of them are needy or abrasive or downright crude. But guess what? God has prepared them for you. They are in your world because of the relationship you have with them. And because of that, we also, as the disciples needed to, humble ourselves. Think about them. Think about the people we're reaching out to and not so much about ourselves. As, as, our, as, in, as the ambassadors that we are, let's make sure we share the message of peace. That message, as we say in the ABCs, that says, if you admit your need of Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus Christ has come into this world to die for our sins because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we are lost without somebody to come and save us and Jesus is the one who saved us. If we make that choice to say, yes, Jesus, I accept your gift of eternal life that you died on my behalf, then that's the message we need to save. That's what we share as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And for all of us who know Jesus Christ today, God has provided for us a house. Humble yourself. Go and greet it. Or a better way to put it is greet them. But we know that many, in fact most, are not worthy, at least by definition of what we see here in this passage. And what I mean by that is, is that most people will not accept what you're offering. Jesus himself said, wide is the way, uh, and many are those who go down the way of destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. So most people are going to reject your message. So what do we do in that case? Well, Jesus says, bravely accept people's rejection. Look at verse 13 as it continues. But if it, meaning the house, but if the house is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, then shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Here's where we get into principles and not a literal uh, application of what Jesus is telling his disciples. Uh, You see, the Jews in those days would know exactly what Jesus means when he says to them that, you know, shake off the dust of your feet. Shaking off the dust of your feet was a way to show extreme contempt for a particular place or a particular people. It's as if you're saying, when I leave here, I want to be so far away from you, I don't even want the, the dust off the ground below you on me. Jesus would routinely, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Jews would routinely shake the dust off their feet after traveling in areas where there were Gentiles or Samaritans. And they would do that in order to demonstrate their total separation from those people. In fact, if you think about it, dust was so common on the roads in those days that it actually came to signify that which clings to your life. It became almost a picture of sin because is that not what happens with us? And when the apostles did this 
to particular people, as Jesus tells them to do, they knew exactly what those apostles were saying to them. You're lost. You are as lost as you think the Gentiles are. We've brought to you the good news, but you have rejected it. Judgment upon yourself. And look how Jesus describes it. He doesn't mince words. He says, verse 15, Truly I say to you, this is what they would say to these people, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah, famously a couple of towns that were, that were destroyed by God very dramatically and graphically for their wickedness. And what they're essentially saying is that even Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have the witness that you had here you know, from us. And this would underscore, hopefully, the idea behind it was to underscore for the Jews just how serious this is. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah are a testimony of the finality of God's judgment. God is not to be toyed with. I mean, I know we talk, the, 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 the most uh, popular uh, euphemism for God is he is our, our heavenly father, okay? And he is, and he loves us, and he cares for us. But at the same time, he is not to be trifled with, okay? He is powerful. He can affect uh, tremendous consequences on somebody for disobeying him, for going against him. And that's what he's talking about here. And I think sometimes uh, in, our, in our effort to really make God into that, that loving old grandfather up there in the sky, we need to balance that with the fact that, yeah, there are actually consequences for not following God. There are consequences for not accepting the gifts that he's offering. So what about us? If you've shared your faith, I would bet, unless you're different than me, but I would bet that you have experienced a lot more rejection than you have acceptance. That's just the nature of things. And I don't mean rejection where they kick you out of their house or they stick the dogs on you or they get their gun, okay? I'm talking about they just say, well, uh, I'll think about that or, or no, I don't want that or you know, give me that. Honestly, you believe that? You see? But it's rejection nevertheless. So does this mean then that we ought to be shaking the dust off their feet, <laughs> off of our feet as we leave their house like the disciples were told to do here? Well, not directly. I, I don't think that would be a good practice today because we want to continue to have an impact in their life. We're not here, you know, proclaiming against them like this. But in a sense, I think there is a sense where we want to shake the dust off or we want to shake it off. Not in the same way. When you share with somebody, here's how I would see it. Here's the principle I can draw from this. When you share with somebody and they reject it, realize first off, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And I would say, and here comes, you know, I've used the honeymooners for the older folks. Now here's the younger ones. I would say, like Taylor Swift, shake it off, right? Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Okay. There you go. Shake it off. Don't let it stop you. Oh, and, and I, you know, we laugh about that, but don't we do that? Oh, man, they said no. Oh, man, that's the last time I'm ever going to try to share with anybody because they said no. It, it, well, that's not, the, that's not the way we should approach it. We need to shake it off. In other words, don't reject them, but also don't let it get to you. My good friend and my consegro, <laughs> he's the father of my son-in-law, uh, uh, Ken Baylor, uh, is with the Gideons. And one of the things he often says is, is it takes an average of 7.6 opportunities to receive Christ before somebody receives Christ. 
And so Ken, who is a, an, an active evangelist, is always sharing his faith. And when somebody says no, his conclusion is, well, I must not have been 7.6. Okay, we'll, we'll just wait until the rest of the people. I must have been number one or two or three or somewhere along the line. But we, we, he, he looks at it as they haven't said yes yet, but I'm going to keep trying. He shakes it off, if you will. Take more time. Look for other opportunities. Maybe, maybe come at them in a different way. Come at them sounds aggressive, I know. But, but you know, uh, use wisdom and, and, and say, you know, develop more of a relationship. They're watching you, by the way. They're seeing, and we're going to talk about that this morning as well. We see that. They're, they're seeing how you react to things. Maybe they just need to see more of the visible word being lived out in your life before they're ready to accept the verbal word that's coming out of your mouth. And do, but, but do that. Do things. Don't do things just the same. That's, we've talked about it. That's insane, right? Look for different ways to continue to reach out. And in terms of the whole Sodom and Gomorrah line, I would say it's probably best not to pronounce a curse on them. You know, you like fire, hey? Well, that's where you're going, you know? That's my, that's my torch, Okay. And in fact, here's how I would take a principle out of that, and I am dead serious about this. Their imminent destruction ought to motivate us. I mean, think about those people in your life that you hopefully care about, and think about maybe you're the only thing that's standing between them and that destruction, like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't know about you, but that motivates me to say, okay, Lord, how can I be wiser in my approach to them? What do I need to do? Maybe I do just need to back off and, and live it for a while so they can see it, but be aware of things like that. Think about it. If you saw a truck barreling down on somebody and you said, get out of the way, get out of the way, and they didn't get out of the way, would you just keep doing the same thing like an insane person? No, get out of the way, get out of the way, it's coming closer. It's coming. No, you'd do something different, okay? You'd probably run out there and push them out of the way. Well, there's something a whole lot worse than a truck barreling down on them. So if those in your worlds have rejected you, what do you need to do? Well, we have these cards that we work through. So what do we do? We, begin to, we, we continue, hopefully, to pray for them. We continue to invest in their lives, and not just investing in terms of preaching at them, but investing in terms of maybe helping them with some yard work or, or being there when, when, when they're struggling with something. And then we look for those opportunities to invite them to something. It's amazing. I've had people uh, regularly tell me, I've been inviting and inviting and inviting, and they finally said yes, okay? They, they, they kept it up, and it happened. And continue to prepare ourselves. I'm just reading the, the, the outline that's on the back of these cards. And if you don't have one of these, get one as you're leaving in the, in the foyer today and, and read through it and fill it out. It's how we are reaching to our worlds. So if you've humbled yourself, put yourself out there, and you've experienced rejection, guys, that's okay. And in fact, again, Jesus says we should not be surprised at that. In John 15, here's what he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, uh, I, I had a, uh, we had a, a missionary director in the mission that Jackie and I belonged to for many years. 
And one of the things that he would say is to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And he, he had a tendency to look at our mission as sort of a, a military uh, exercise. I, Sue knows him. I'm talking about uh, Louis. And he would talk about, you know, we're, we're going into battle. I want to be, a, you know, I, I don't want to live within the sound of chapel bells. I want to be one yard from hell, you know, feel the, the, the heat of the flames. And the, he was that kind of a guy. And he says that he used to say that what Jesus is doing here is he is preparing us. You know, when an army is in the field, one of the things that they require in order to be effective, be the most effective, is intelligence. And they get intelligence about what's happening over there or where the, where the, uh, the people are going or what kind of ammunition they're using. And, so, and then once you get that intelligence, what do you do? You devise a battle plan based upon what you're learning. And in a, in a sense, that's what Jesus is doing here. He is preparing them for what is coming. And he's preparing us as well. And he's going to do, he's going to show us now how to prepare as we see that we should boldly expect or even anticipate persecution. Look at verse uh, 16. In fact, look at the first word, behold. Okay, talk about boldly. Because that word there, it means, hey, listen up, look here. He wants their full attention. It's kind of like, you know, if you're listening to a, a lecture or a sermon, right? And, and the guy's droning on and on and on. And suddenly I were to say, behold! Okay, that's what Jesus is doing. And when he says that, pay attention to what he says next. So let's get our full attention here. And what does he say? Verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus isn't holding back here, guys. He isn't sugarcoating anything, all right? He's giving us all the intelligence we need in order to be forewarned. I mean, think about it. Look at that mental picture. How, how well do you think sheep do against wolves? It doesn't seem like a fair fight. And in fact, he's talking to people who knew shepherd culture. And when Jesus would say something like this to them, that would be shocking, because shepherds would do the exact opposite. They would, they would pen their sheep up in a sheepfold in order to protect those sheep, to keep them away from the wolves and the wild animals. But here's Jesus, the good shepherd. He's saying, I am going to send my sheep, which is us, by the way, those of us who know Christ, I'm going to send my sheep right into the middle of the wolves. But, and this is important, he's going to be there with us, Okay. Now, I can totally understand is when he says here, be as, as shrewd as snakes or wise as snakes and as, and as harmless as doves. I can understand the dove part, but what's up with him comparing us to snakes? <laughs> well, here's the thing. To be a wise as a snake means to be prudent or to be clever. I know people are, a lot of people are talking about moving to Florida. Do you know Florida has got a couple of snakes? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about this snake here. A 25-foot Burmese python, which, by the way, they're not, they're not native. They believe that the Burmese python epidemic in Florida is all because of pet snakes, okay? They, they got loose, and now they love the environment, and they've taken over. A 25-foot Burmese python took up residence in the basement of a house in Florida, although the owner's basement of your house, <laughs> okay? Although the owners knew that he was down there, because they found the skin that he was shedding, they couldn't find him. He, he was tricky, 25 feet long, and still able to hide completely 
from the people in the house. Think about it, guys. If you really think about it, snakes, at least from my perspective, I don't know about you, but they kind of have a handicap. They don't have any arms. They don't have any legs. And, and yet they get themselves around. It maneuvers and stealthily hides itself. That's what a snake can do. And I think part of what Jesus is getting at here is if, even if you feel as though you're handicapped, as, as though you, you can't do anything, be as wise as a serpent in order to get into places. But, and this is important, also be as harmless as a dove. It's important, I believe, because Jesus said so, number one, but it's important to be both of these. This is a balance that we're talking about here. It's important to be a serpent and a dove. For, for one, if you think about it, it's pretty dangerous if you emphasize one over the other to the exclusion of the other. If someone is wise but not harmless, well, then watch out. They make good con men, okay, or con women, to be fair, if, on the other hand, someone is harmless, but uh, uh, is harmless without wisdom, they can also be gullible. They can be an easy mark for those other guys, for the con men. A serpent is dangerous, and a dove will, can be in danger, but Jesus says we need to be balanced. We need to have qualities of both. Uh, Chuck Swindoll put up, he came up with this little chart here. You can take a picture of this if you want to study it later. I'm just going to read it. Uh, serpents are alert. Doves are gentle. Serpents are sharp-minded. Doves are pure. Serpents are relevant. Doves can be honest. Serpents are cautious. Doves love, lovable. D serpents are discerning. Doves are peaceful. And it surprises me sometimes how people sometimes revel in the fact that they are out of balance. I meet people all the time that will, you know, they're, they're, they're so aggressive, you know, and they're proud of their aggressiveness. That I'm going to go out there and I'm going I'm to do business. I'm going to fight the battles. At the, and at the same time, they don't have a lot of compassion for people. And that handicaps them. On the other hand, you've got people that are so dovish that they, they, they don't really accomplish a whole lot. So you need both of those qualities. Why is Jesus telling them this? Because I think it would be easy for the disciples to think that the people that they're going to are going to welcome them with open arms. I mean, after all, we're offering you the kingdom of God. It's what, it's what the Jews have been waiting for. It's what they've been looking for. Who wouldn't want that? Well, actually, Jesus, as we've already seen, told them most people aren't going to want that. I remember when I began ministering in the church, and I thought, wow, this is, a, this is going to be a wonderful job. I'm ministering in the church around Christians and, and church people. Isn't it going to be great? And boy, did I have an awakening because church people are, are still people and they still struggle. And it, 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 you know, they, and part of that is because, and here's the, the real key, that's a good thing, is that church people, unlike people, many people outside the church, church people actually deal with things. Uh, you know, if, if, if something is uncomfortable and I don't really want to look at it, and uh, well, most people outside of the church are just going to say, well, just sweep that under the rug. Just stuff it deep down inside or it'll never get out and we'll never talk about this. Not so in church. I mean, if we're being biblical and we're following what Jesus says, he tells us to bring it out. Let's deal with this. And sometimes that can look very ugly because we are serious about sin. It's not really different for us today, by the way. Verse 17, what does Jesus go on to say? Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts 
and flog you in their synagogues. No surprise here. Guess where's the first place of opposition? It's in the religious structure. It's in the synagogue. And by the way, the courts that he's talking about here are the Jewish courts. It's the Sanhedrin. And so they're, they're being... The, the, the struggle that they're having is in the religious system. And then what's following that? Verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So you've got the religious structure. Now you've got the government. And by the way, just as a precursor, next week, it's going to be families. It's going to be brother against brother and father against child and children against their parents. That, guys, is a hat trick, okay? That's the trifecta here. The three institutions that God instituted, the home, the government, and the church, are all three opposing the truth instead of promoting it. We don't like hearing that. Come on, Willie, be a little more positive here. Or better yet, come on, Jesus, be a little more positive here. But he's given it to us straight. And there's no question about it. I mean, look at the language that he uses here. They will deliver you. They will flog you. You will be dragged before governors and kings. I'm surprised he still had apostles after this talk. But he's given it to them straight. They are being forewarned so that they can be forearmed. And you guys got to know, I, I hope you recognize, this is still happening today. In fact, the persecution is accelerating in our world. Even our world, meaning the first world. I mean, we always talk about the persecution in the third world and in China and in Muslim countries. It's, encouraged, it, it's, it's increasing here. Business owners are forced at times to take unbiblical practices or to support unbiblical practices, baking cakes, organizing their businesses, or, or lose their business if they don't do it. The Bible is considered by many people to be hate speech. I'll be honest with you. I will not be surprised at all if at some point we lose our tax-exempt status because every Sunday you're coming here, and according to many people, you're listening to hate speech coming out of this book. There was a journalist just this week, just the last couple of days. You might have heard this phrase. If you haven't, you're going to. Uh, we're in a political season the perpetual political season, but it gets particularly hot right now since we're voting this week. I hope you are anyway. But you've heard this phrase called Christian nationalism, maybe. There's actually a movie coming out about it. And uh, journalist Heidi Prisabia made an appearance on MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes this past week, this past week, a couple of days ago. And she asserted on the cable news program that, quote, Christian nationalists believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. Based on this thinking, they would say, they meaning us, Christians, that our rights don't come from Congress, they don't come from the Supreme Court, no, in fact, they come from God. She further asserted that the problem with that is that they are determining man, men, and it is men, are determining, I'm quoting her here, by the way, are determining what God is telling them. There is a, quote, extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues, including abortion and marriage. And then she went on to lament, but that is going, but it's going much further than that. However, if you think about it, this view of our rights, guys, is something that the heavenly, not the heavenly, the, uh, uh, the founding fathers actually agreed with. The Declaration of Independence famously says that all people are endowed by who? Their creator. 
with certain unalienable rights, meaning rights given to us by God, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it becomes dangerous when we forget this principle that our rights come from God and not from some government because the basic problem is if our rights come from the Congress or from the Supreme Court, then guess what? They can also be taken away from the, by the Congress or the Supreme Court. It's opening the door to what, frankly, most people in the world today experience, and that is totalitarianism. And many individuals in politics and in the media want to tie Christian nationalism to racism and to prejudice, and guys, we need to reject that. Racists and racism and prejudice are wrong, no matter what you call them. And it highlights, guys, the need for what Jesus says we are to be. That is, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Around the world, guys, the practice of killing Christians is flourishing. We hear about the Christians and the lions in the first century, right? Being thrown to the lions. And the terrible persecution of the church in the first couple of centuries in the Middle Ages. Well, according to Voice of the Martyrs, that's not stopped. There were more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than in all of the previous 19 centuries combined. <laughs> oh, woe is us, right? Well, not so fast. Did you catch what verse 18 says? Look at it again. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to do what? To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. In other words, the opposition that we will experience, and in many cases are experiencing, will bring an opportunity. The apostles will be persecuted by governors and kings, and that very persecution will become the means of the growth of the church. The Apostle Paul prayed earnestly that he would be able to go to Rome. And he finally got to Rome. You know how? He got arrested and they took him to a Roman prison. But in the prison, he began sharing with the guards and members of the Praetorian Guard. And from the inside out, Rome, over the course of 300 years, Christianity became the dominant religion. Uh, don't, don't get me started on that, but anyway... Tertullian, in the second century, one of the second century church fathers, he put it this way, the seed of the church was watered by the blood of the martyrs. And even though, here's another thing, you remember last week we talked about how Jesus says, do not go to the Gentiles, go only to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, even though they didn't go directly to the Gentiles, the persecution they endured would also bear witness not only to the government, but even to the Gentiles, as he says here in verse 18. And people, from what I see, it's the same for us today. That's the principle that I believe we can take away from this passage. People today, believe it or not, are not impressed with our wealth, with our abundance, with the abundant life. It's kind of like when, when Satan talked about Job, if you read the first chapter of Job, and God says, you know, if you considered my servant Job, and what did Satan say? Well, of course Job is following you. He's being blessed. He's looking, it's, it's doing very good for Job to be a follower of yours. And I think sometimes we think that it's our prosperity that's going to speak to the world. In fact, obviously it, that's the case because some people, that's what they tout. You want to be prosperous so that people will want what we have. And yet that's not what impresses people. What impresses people is when they see us oppressed. 
and they see us uh, beat down and they see us persecuted and they see us uh, discriminated against and yet we continue on. We persevere. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter said, but in your hearts can honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why would somebody ask me for the hope that is in me? Because they see me in a hopeless situation, at least from their perspective. They look at what I'm going through and they say, man, I could never deal with that. I could not get through that. And yet they see me getting through it. And in order to see that, I have to be going through it. I have to be under some sort of persecution. And that causes them then to say, tell me, what is it about, you know, this, this, this religion, this, this Jesus thing, it must be real if you're enduring that. But here again, we see the impact of snakes and doves. What did Jesus tell them in verse 18? You'll be dragged before governors and kings for what? For my sake. And here's the thing, guys. Make sure that you are being persecuted for a good cause. Make sure you're being persecuted for Jesus' sake. For the last three and a half years, we've been hearing over and over and over again about January 6, 2020. And I'm going to tell you guys, the vast majority of people that were there at the, at the Capitol on January 6, 2020, were, were just there. They were peaceably making their presence known. They were, they, they were sharing what they believed ought to happen. And there was a minority of people, and sadly, many of those people claimed to be Christians. They were holding up crosses. They were, you know, God and guns and Trump, you know. And, and there was all that. And that's the, that's the video that we see now. You see how out of balance when you aren't as wise as serpents and harmless as doves? We need to be law-abiding. We need to be good citizens. We have a, an election coming up in two days. And you know, one of the things that's going to characterize this election, according to the news media, is it is going to be a record-breaking low turnout. They say that less than 25% of people who are supposed to be able to vote are going to vote. And yet, if you are a registered voter, you got a ballot in the mail, and I hope you're sending it back. I hope you're taking, you know, w with your faith as a guide, you're voting. I'm not here telling you how to vote, but as your faith, with using your faith as a guide, you're voting. We, we live in a country that gives us the opportunity to do this, and yet we're not taking advantage of it. And, and actually, I look at it in one, in one way, is if so few people are voting, then imagine if those of us who are followers of Christ really took it seriously, imagine how that inflates our influence if most people out there are not even taking advantage of the opportunity. So I hope you're planning or have already voted. I, we have, Jackie and I, so I'm wearing my tag here. Uh, but um, consider that. Remember what Jesus said once again. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We, we tend to take it very seriously, you know, don't we? These people are coming at me. They don't like me. No, Jesus said, it's not you, it's me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. 
And finally this morning, when that happens, how were they to believe? Verse 19, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you're going to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through me. Once again, this is a specific command for these guys. It's not meant to take away, and I've actually met guys that have done that. They've said, well, I don't prepare anymore. I just go in and the Holy Spirit speaks out of my mouth. That would be kind of nice. That would gain me a lot of hours every week if I didn't do any preparation at all. And yet, contextually, guys, that contradicts Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15 famously tells us that we are to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed correctly or rightly handling the word of truth. When we correctly or rightly handle the word of truth, we know that in context we are to prepare. Unlike the apostles, we have the word of God. And we trust in God's spirit to speak to us as well. But there is a principle, by the way, even in this, in this command, and that is that we shouldn't be afraid or think even after we've studied, I'm not prepared enough. I don't know, is anybody else here like that? I, I'm one of those people that I prepare and I prepare and I prepare. And when I think about going to talk to somebody, the thing that scares me is what if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? <laughs> My answer to that is, so What? I got news for you. I get questions all the time that I don't have a ready answer to. I, I've learned the hard way at times when I just give an answer, you know, off the top of my head that, well, that's often not good. And so it's easy just, it, it's much better just to say, you know what, I'm not sure about that, I'll, but I'll go find out. I know where I can get answers to those questions. But often there are times when God speaks through me, and I bet many of you have experienced the same thing. Uh, I, I speak up here every week, and it's amazing to me sometimes what people say God told them through me. I'm like, well, that wasn't in my sermon. I, I didn't say anything like that. And yet they come away convicted that this is what God wanted me to hear about what you said. I, and I go back, I've even gone back and listened or watched the, uh, the videos and have confirmed I never said that. And I have to conclude that, okay, the Spirit stepped in. And I bet you've experienced that as well, where somebody will say, what you said to me really touched my heart. I don't remember saying that, but hey, good for you. He works this way still today. It's still true. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus has promised, guys, to every one of us, as Matthew 28, 19, uh, 18 and 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and look at this promise. Behold, behold, <laughs> catch this. I am with you, how long? Always to the end of the age. Let me give you a couple takeaways for this. First off, as I look at this passage, I ask myself, do I humbly accept God's gifts? Uh, whether I view them as gifts at the time or not, and again, you go back through this passage, and most of what Jesus is telling these guys would be not a greatest gift. I wouldn't want to give any of these, hardly any of these gifts to my wife or somebody that I love, and yet... That's part of humbly accepting them. If God's, if God's given them to me, if Jesus is presenting them to me, then there's a reason for it. He's got a purpose, and I need to accept that. Number two, I ask myself, how do I handle rejection? Hopefully, well, <laughs> because it's going to be there. 
And uh, it, there just needs to be the sense that, okay, that's, that I wasn't 7.6 or, or however you reconcile it, but just keep going. Don't give up because that's the, that's the enemy speaking to you when he says, oh, you're a failure. Nobody's ever listening to you. Nobody ever says yes to you. Uh, it, Jeremiah had that, the weeping prophet, and yet God used him even in that. And number three, do I realize that Jesus sent me here? What situation do you find yourself in today? What, who are the people in your world? Maybe you're the one of those people that says, man, it just seems like my world, a bunch of bums, you know, <laughs> or, 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 you know, however you want to characterize them. They're not nice people. And yet Jesus put you there. Or the situation you're dealing with right now, Jesus is allowing that to happen to you. He has a purpose in that. And do I recognize that? If we keep doing this this Christian life that we have, if we keep doing it our own strength over and over again, not calling upon the power of God, not calling upon the power of his spirit to empower me to do what he's called me to do, guys, that is insane. We need to get into the word of God like we've been doing this morning and allow his word to affect a change in our life. And that is sanity. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. May we not be those insane people that leave here today exactly the same as we were when we came in. Father, I pray that today we have been changed by your spirit within us and that we will go from here and become those change agents to the people in our house, in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.